Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. You are listening to the Food Heals Podcast with me, Allison Melody. Follow me on Instagram at TV. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben & Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. Today I'm talking with artist, creator, and fellow filmmaker and vegan Jasmine Leva. With a Bachelor of Arts in TV, Film, and Media, and a Master of Fine Arts in Screenwriting, Jasmine has worked as an associate producer at the NAACP-winning docuseries called Unsung, and shortly after, she was given the opportunity to write and produce On Being, which is a docuseries highlighting dynamic entertainers in film and music, all in addition to starring in commercials and print ads. This woman has so many talents. I just screened her film, The Invisible Vegan, On on Amazon. Go check that out. It's an absolutely must watch if you want to understand the dynamics and intersectionality between veganism, race, class, and gender. I know you're going to love this conversation, Food Heals Nation, but first... Boosting our body's immune system is often the best defense when it comes to protecting us from whatever it is that the world throws our way. That's why I'm such a huge fan of Dr. Cabral's exclusive immunity protocol. You remember Dr. C from multiple episodes of Food Heals, and this is the exact go-to wellness strategy that Dr. Cabral uses to enhance his own immunity and that of his family all year round. So what's in it? Dr. Cabral's three go-to products to boost the body's immune system. Number one, alkalizing vitamin C. So you're just going to take one scoop daily, add it to water when you wake up, and you know vitamin C is a potent antioxidant and it acts to neutralize free radical damage to cells, including DNA, lipids, and proteins. Number two, balance zinc. And you know zinc is the first thing I pop if I ever feel a cold or flu coming on, but zinc plays an important role in supporting the body's defense system. And the third is one of my favorites, the liquid vitamin D3. All you have to do is four drops under your tongue with a meal. I love my vitamin D. Vitamin D plays a major role in our DNA, and it is actually responsible for over 500 processes in the body. So when the body's low in vitamin D, it automatically lowers the immune system response. And so our defenses against bacteria and viruses and other diseases go down. So stay healthy, Food Heals Nation. Boost your immunity today and every day with Dr. Cabral's three-step immunity healing protocol. You can save 10% on your order with coupon code FOODHEALS10 at equilibriumnutrition.com slash foodheals. That's equilibriumnutrition.com slash foodheals to save 10% off your order. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. I grew up in D.C. eating the standard American diet. I initially identified veganism as a white thing. It was because I didn't know my history. All I knew was we turned scraps into soul food, and I thought that was our only culinary legacy. Fried fish, uh, fried pork chops, fried chicken. It becomes soul specifically assigned to black people because in the 60s, black nationalists wanted to make the argument that black people had culture. We have culture in our language, we have culture in our clothing, we have culture in our food. Chitlins and chicken wings and oxtail and ox tongue and pig feet. 
Those were the things that were thrown away that Massa didn't eat. Those were the scraps that were scavenged up by certain slaves. They made do with what they had, but the fact is that we are no longer on the plantation. All right, well, that was a snippet from the trailer for the documentary, The Invisible Vegan, which you can find on Amazon. And today, I'm so excited to be here with the amazing director. Please help me welcome Jasmine Leva. Hey, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here, too. I binge-watched your film. I guess binge-watching a film isn't a thing, but I watched it in one <laughs> sitting, which is rare these days. Without scrolling through my phone, I sat and watched it. What? You gave me your undivided attention? I feel special. Thank you. That's, that's how compelling it was. Yes, I loved it. Every second of it, I was like, yes, yes, yes. This is what the people need to learn. I was so excited. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. So The Invisible Vegan, it's a powerful documentary and it explores how plant-based eating intersects with race, class, and gender. This is your brand. This is your movement. So take us back and tell me about like what inspired you to create it. So originally I went vegan for superficial reasons. I saw a woman and she was in, you know, she was middle life. She was wearing some booty shorts and I was like, yo, when I turn 60, I want to be in booty shorts. So I I asked her what, you know, like what her secret was. She told me she followed a vegan diet. So I'm like, okay, I need to follow a vegan diet. Then when I did it, I noticed a lot of the health benefits and I'm like, wait, this is more than just wearing booty shorts at 60. This is something that's good for my body. So I got really excited about it. And then I noticed when I would tell my friends, they wouldn't get excited about it. So then I would watch these documentaries like Forks Over Knives, Conspiracy, Vegetated. And I'm just like, oh my God, this stuff is great. Why don't my friends get it? And then it hit me, you know, as great as all of these documentaries were, as great as these books were, as great as these internet sites were, they were kind of all geared toward the same audience, Mm -hmm. which is a different audience than the people in the community that I grew up in. So I decided, hey, you know what? I have a background in film and TV. Why don't I just be the change that I want to see in the world and create a film that filled a much needed void? So that's what inspired me to make The Invisible Vegan. Yes. Um, Oh my gosh. You know, we're down a similar path because I'm a filmmaker as well. And those are films and there were books and they were all so fascinating to me. And then I was also working in social justice. And when I was, I I was learning about the plant-based diet while I was learning about social justice. And they were two things I was very passionate about, but they weren't coming together in the way that I thought that they could, because a lot of issues when it comes to food is very affected by your socioeconomic status, whether you have access to healthy food, whether you can afford it, and whether you can, whether you're in a food desert or whether you know, you live far away and you're like, I can't go to Whole Foods. So there was this like divide. And then on the other hand, I'm working in social justice, which is public health, trying to get people to be become educated about what they could do to solve problems in their community, whether it was access to healthy food or whether it was anti, you know, gang violence prevention programs. But at all the events, it was like, horrible food being served. And I was like, there's a huge connection here and I'm learning about both, but they're not being connected. And your film connects those dots. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah, I think when, you know, when a lot of people, when they do their vegan advocacy, you know, they mean well, but they project their lifestyle onto other people. So they'll say something like, oh, you can replace all the foods, you know, have a Beyond Burger. It's just as good. Now, you know, if you're in a position where you can spend like eight or nine dollars on, you know, two patties or four sausages. Yeah, of course, it's not a big deal. But what about the person that might be on food stamps and they're only getting $50 a week for their entire food budget? So I just felt like, those were the people who were being um, left out of conversations. And when you address veganism, it makes more sense to figure out how to do it on a small budget with limited options than it does to kind of promote it from a place of wealth. Absolutely. Um, Well, I'm so glad you did that because I love that more people are making the connections now. And I don't like the way that the media has portrayed the vegan diet many times as an elitist diet, even holistic health with, you know, 
goop and all of the things. Yeah, I want a jade egg, but that's like so out of reach for so many people. And it's like, if you, you know, you say in the film, which I thought was a great example that you were eating salmon for your protein, which could be what, like $9. And then you realize that you could eat tofu for like $1.50 and get even more protein, right? Right. Correct. So it's like there are swaps that you can make that are healthy and affordable, but there is this concept that veganism or being a healthy, holistic person is kind of for people of higher socioeconomic status. And it's absolutely wrong. And that is creating all of these health disparities that especially Black people face, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? So one thing about if you go into a lot of communities of color, like even in Los Angeles, if you go into um, like the low income areas, which are usually mostly black and brown, you'll see they have dialysis centers mm. every few blocks. So that is a visual representation that the people in these communities are the sickest because you don't see that when you go to the nicer neighborhoods. Even though you have that, you have the highest concentration of fast food restaurants and build fast food billboards in those same neighborhoods. So you have the worst foods in the sickest communities. And even at the grocery store, like you'll go to the produce section, they won't even have, a lot of them, they won't even have an organic section and the produce won't look, you know, it won't look fresh. It won't look the same way it looks if you go to a nicer neighborhood in Los Angeles. So that's another part of it. Like when you think about healthy, you know, being able to access healthy food, that shouldn't be, oh, I live in this neighborhood or I make this amount of money so I can eat foods um, that uh, keep diseases at bay. Like it's eating healthy should be something that, you know, that should be a basic human right that everyone should enjoy. So even pointing that out and what's even sadder is that the people in the low income communities, they don't always have the scope of what's going on outside of their community. So they don't know that it's a problem. They don't know that, hey, you know, you're actually being set up to fail because there's no healthy food around you. And they're so used to those foods that they think those foods are the norm. So it's like, how do you, you know, people won't fight a problem if they don't even know a problem exists. So I think that was another part of my documentary. Like I wanted to show, like, look at what's happening. You are being targeted. People do not value your life because if they did, you wouldn't have foods that lead to disease in your neighborhood and nothing else. Right, exactly. And in the film, I remember one moment that really got me was when you said, you said, I don't remember a time when I went to a funeral where someone died of old age because it is always these degenerative diseases. And that was my experience too. I lost my mom to cancer. Then I lost my father to cancer. And it was just like, these are chronic debilitating diseases, but they are lifestyle-based diseases. And so if we don't know better, we can't do better. And so, yes, it's about the affordability and yes, it's about the access. And then it's about the education. Right. 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 Because even with that, like for me, because I'm guess I know you probably heard of the China study, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was ridiculous because I thought, again, I thought cancer was hereditary. That's something mm -hmm. that I was always told. A lot of the degener degenerative diseases, I was told they were hereditary. Right. So then when I hear about the China study and I'm like, okay, so this is one of the largest food studies ever done in the world. And it pretty much points meat out as the culprit. Why are, why aren't we being told this? You know, it just doesn't make sense. Yes. And then, um, when I was working in social justice, I learned that your zip code could determine your life expectancy. And so there was a tool where you could go in and type your zip code and you could do um, your city versus another city versus another city, all within 10, 20 miles of each other. And the life expectancy would be very different. And what did it have to do with? It had to do with how impoverished the communities were. And it's absolutely fascinating because the health disparities, you cannot deny. Um, I know in your film, it and these were the stats at the time, which I think have even increased, but 40% of Black people are more likely to die from breast cancer, 60% are more likely to be diabetic, and 30% are likely are more likely to die from heart disease. That is unfathomable. And 
you know, we are in this time of marching and Black Lives Matter, and I am all for it. And I'm just like, let's also march for health, right? Because we are killing people this way too. It's just not being shown on video and getting to the heartstrings of people. But this is absolutely, in my eyes, murder. It, it is. And then on top of that, so when I did my documentary, I, you know, I quit my job. So I no longer had my health insurance. So then I qualified for Medi-Cal. And when I went on Medi-Cal, it was such a wake up call mm -hmm. because, for example, when I had a stomach issue, I went in September they told me, my doctor said, okay, we can give you appointments to get checked out in May of the following year. Whoa. Like, thing, and, and, you know, and before I had, because I was on my mother's insurance till 26, so I had really great government insurance. So to go from that to Medi-Cal, where they tell me, like, you may not have to wait eight months to, to I told you I had a stomach condition, right? You know? And even times like one time I needed an operation, they literally just I, the doctor was like, "Oh, well, take some Tylenol." And again, these are and I was going to different hospitals. Mm -hmm. People treat you like trash if you don't have money in this country, or if you have Medi-Cal, which I guess is a signifier of poverty. Like people don't care about your life. So that's why it's even more important that you do some of the heavy lifting with food and make sure you do everything that you can not to have to go to the hospital in the first place. That experience, it just gives me chills because it's like, that is not a unique experience, unfortunately. And it's not how it should be. And other countries have got this figured out so much better than we do. And it just, it hurts my heart to hear stories like this. Um, and you know, with my parents' cancer, the issue was different. They were like, we have treatment options, but they told me to my face that nutrition doesn't matter when it came to cancer, that nutrition didn't matter. Diet didn't matter when it came to healing. And now we know that is completely untrue. And in your film, you have a number of people who have come back from chronic debilitating conditions, including yourself. So I would love to hear um, some of those stories. And well, we can save some for the film, but there were some really great testimonials in there of people who had reversed chronic disease by going plant-based. Can you talk about that? Well, I know my friend Erica, she's in the documentary and she was suffering from fibroid tumors. And at the time, actually two of my friends were suffering from fibroid tumor tumors. And, you know, she took up a plant-based diet. It did not cure her, but the the symptoms symptoms she had subsided. I guess they stopped growing and she was able to bring um a baby uh she didn't bring the baby to term, but she was able to get pregnant for the first time. Oh, that's so amazing. I mean, I saw it, but I'm just like, I got the chills all over again. <laughs> <laughs> These are the testimonials that people's experiences are really the truth. And I feel like there's such a misinformation campaign out there against the plant-based diet. And what would you say to someone who is just like, this isn't for me. And I know you've had to do this. That's why I asked. But like, what do you say to people? So luckily I have an easy out because I have a film. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so when I, when I encounter that, I'm, I just ask a question like, Oh, would you mind checking out my film? And then usually they say yes. But even if I didn't have my film, I would, I don't like to argue with people um, about a plant-based diet. Like if they say it's not for them, right? And say, I say, oh, yes, it is because X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. If they come back with a rebuttal, what they're doing psychologically is they're kind of like building their argument against veganism. And it, it kind of like almost strengthens the 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 false notions they already have in their head. So I don't even want them repeating that argument in their head. So instead what I do is I just ask like, have you ever seen forks over knives? And they probably say, no, would you mind, you know, would you mind checking it out? And then maybe we have a conversation after that. And if they're open to have, if they're open to checking it out, then that's a different conversation because we can talk and they, they come from a place where they're not just listening to me. They're hearing stats and facts and they're hearing this from experts. But if they say, no, I don't want to watch it, then that lets me know, oh, this is a person who's not even open to learning something new. So it would be a waste of my time to kind of argue with someone that has that mindset anyway. 
Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes the people that we love and care about the most are the people that can't hear this kind of stuff from us. So it's like, yeah, expose them to other films or books or something and let them hear a doctor say it. Very often, you know, for my dad, it was like if the doctor didn't say it, he didn't believe it because the doctor in the white coat was the word of God. And so when I brought him to a holistic doctor, this is in North Carolina, literally 15 years ago, not in L.A. where we live with a juice bar in every corner, <laughs> but literally like we had to go to his house in the woods. He wasn't wearing a white coat. He didn't have a stethoscope. He looked, you know, it smelled like patchouli. Like and it, it was just like this guy helps people reverse cancer by cleansing and changing their diet habits. And my dad was just like, this is absolute BS. He couldn't hear it from me. He couldn't hear it from him. But I would suggest that had the doctor, had the oncologist said that nutrition mattered, my dad would have listened. So sometimes it's like, who is it coming from? And back then we didn't have Netflix and documentaries and YouTube. So like I didn't have anywhere to send him. I was just learning. I was brand new to this, you know, this world. I had no, I wasn't even vegan yet. I just knew that I was learn. I was starting to learn of what was possible. And so now there are so many great ways to get the message out. And certainly film is one, I, I would argue probably the most powerful one because you can really move people with your message with the interviews and the personal stories and the music and you incorporate statistics. And so tell me about your filmmaking past because you, you've done a lot of, besides this film. I know I'm focused on this one, but you've done docu-series and um, you're an actress. So tell me about that. Yeah, actually, I am so I was working on another docu-series before I did two docu-series before I did um, my own film. But one of the best things that ever happened to me was when I was working on the docu-series, I asked the executive producer if I could write on the series. And he laughed. He chuckled. He thought oh. it was funny. And he's just like, oh, you know, writing, that's a that's a different beast. Like, we'll see. But I knew that I was ready. And I'm glad he told me no when he did because it gave me the motivation to say, you know what? I'm going to write my own documentary. Because I think yeah. a lot of times when we work at companies, we miss the point. You know, like when I was working at that company, it was never my agenda to sit there and wait for someone to give me opportunities. Like my agenda was to let me learn everything I can while I'm here so I can do it for myself. So I learned what I needed to learn there. And then I put together The Invisible Vegan. And it was easy because I had not easy, but easier because I already had experience not only behind the camera, but I had done like a lot of um, national commercials. So when I'm working with talent, like I know how to work with talent and how to talk to talent. And um, yeah, you just know things from from both angles. Yeah. And I, I mean, I see from your bio, you have done so many cool brands and you've done print ads and you've been in Elle magazine. You've been you starred in the Lifetime show, My Crazy Ex. So I need to hear that story for a minute. Can no, no, but you want to know something that's funny. So uh -huh. for My Crazy Ex, um, one of the ones that I shot, one of the episodes that I shot, the, the stylist put a bunch of hairspray in my hair. And I had a scene where I was doing a romantic, um, uh, a romantic situation with a guy and there were mm -hmm. candles all over the bedroom. No. So I had to, yes. Yes. So I had to blow out some of the candles. And of course, you know, it. like my hair just caught on fire. No! And it start, you know, it startled me. But luckily, you know, they came over immediately, helped me burn. Uh, they helped me put the fire out. And so afterwards, I, I never, my nerves had never been sh that uh, shook before. Right. So, you know, I had to finish the day, but it was so hard because like my nerves just would not settle after oh. catching on fire. <laughs> that's the scariest thing I can imagine. That's clearly never anything that's happened to me, but oh my God. Right, right. And then, and then to have to kind of go back and do the scene over, it's just like, ah! I would be like, you will Photoshop those candles or they don't Photoshop on film, but I will be like, you will rotoscope those candles in they are all off and I would be like you need to wash my hair and take this hairspray out like who thought what genius was like oh this is smart <laughs> no and you know what and it's so funny because after I after they asked me like oh are you okay are you okay I want to say not missing a beat before you knew it I was hit with contracts 
like, hey, we need you to sign these papers saying you won't sue us. Oh, wow. And I'm sure it's not it's not like you have an advocate or a lawyer on set to be like, no, honey, you come with me. Like, let's make sure you're okay. right. Right, right. Wow. Oh, the film industry. That's a whole different podcast. I got stories, too. But that's pretty bad. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, what I was going to say before that, going back to your point, is that, you know, it's like. I really, I really don't like the fact that the man said, oh, honey, like that you're not there yet or whatever. Oh, writing's a different animal. But if it propelled you on the right path, then I'm sure it was meant to be. Um, but I love that in today's society, in today's world with social media and with, you know, everyone can put out their message now. If you have a smartphone, you you can change the world with your message. And I love that. So you're just like, I'm gonna make my own film. And that's what we can do. So talk about, you know, for anyone listening that is like, I've there we have so many people who are doing incredible things in Food Heals Nation. So like if we are creating media, how what is the process like of going to Amazon? What is the process like of putting it out there? So for me, it was so funny because I was just originally selling the um, my documentary on my website. And then one of my friends, because I had tried to get it to Netflix, I tried to get a distributor and it didn't work out. So mm-hmm. one of my friends was like, no, you have to get this on a major streaming service. And I, I literally, and he kind of argued me down because I started mm-hmm. crying. And I was like, look, I, yeah, I was like, listen, I tried everything I could possibly try. And like, even like, as I'm crying, not, not hardcore crying, but you know, a tear or two. And he's just like, well, you need to try harder. You need to contact everyone, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, you know what? He's absolutely right. So I just put up this big, you know, I did this, um, dear Netflix campaign on my social media. I asked all my friends to share it. Yeah. And I ended up getting a distributor. A distributor reached out to me and was like, hey, I can um, do something with your film. So then he took my film to Netflix. And I remember he told me, he was like, I know you wanted your film on Netflix. And unfortunately, they turned it down because they're looking for more of their, they're trying to do more of their own original content. He's like, but Amazon and Tubi TV want to pick you up. So, Amazing. so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm thankful that I have a friend to just keep, make sure, you know, to keep perseverance, um, keep, just keep going, you know? Absolutely. And that's the power of social media because someone you knew or someone in your network was like, yeah, I believe in this and I can help you. Yep. Yep. So whenever, and that's the thing, and sometimes we can't see past obstacles and it's good to have other people, you know, whenever we run into um, a roadblock to have someone else kind of come in and look at the situation because they'll take the roadblock away. They'll say like, no, 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 that's not a roadblock right there. That's a mirage. You can keep going. And I'm so glad that I had that person um, point that out. And Jasmine, I could be wrong, but I would argue that right now in the current political climate, because the the fact that your film talks about systemic racism racism and covers issues of race and privilege and gender that Netflix might bang down your door for it right now. I'm just saying. We shall see. I I would hope so. Yeah, I would go back to them if you still have that connection. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud because it, the times are changing and maybe they would be like, "Oh my god, this is exactly what we need right now." Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yes, I will do that. Thank you. I'm just you. thinking. Let me know how Thank I can help you, girl. You're on my social media too. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but I understand um, because it's like, you know, I understand why you cried because putting our art out there is tough. And how do you do, because this is something that comes up for a lot of us, is dealing with your disagreeers, your haters, whatever it might be, the trolls. I know when I put out certain Food Heals content, there are people that disagree so vehemently with me. And I'm just like, uh, forgive and delete, forgive and delete. But it's tough not to take it personally. So what do you do when that happens? The one thing that's kind of just helped me out a lot is I have no investment in other people's ignorance. So that's first. Oh my God. I love that. I'm sorry. Say it again. <laughs> have no investment in other people's ignorance. I feel like that is the best thing I've heard in 2020. I'm going to tweet you. Okay, I love it. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. So, so yeah, once you take that, once you take that out, like I have no investment in this, 
you also realize that no matter what you do, like I could be doing, I could be saving all the children in the world and feeding every hungry person. There will always be people that have something negative to say because a lot of people live negative lives. So no matter what I do, there will always be people that have something to say and just don't take any of it personally. So even when, you know, I'll have people, it's very hard to bait me into an argument, especially online, because like people, they'll say something like you're wrong because of A, B and C. And then I'll just respond with, you know what? That's, I I respect your opinion. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Kill him with kindness, baby. Yeah. And it's, and it's so (laughs) fun. It's like you shut it down, like, and they'll be expecting an argument. And I'm just like, no, well, if you already have your mind made up, like you live that life. And then I feel like when you do that, that almost makes people more curious (laughs) about about um, your life and what you're doing and how you how you're living it, because you're showing them a different side. Like you're showing them like, wow, this person seems to be really at peace. This person seems to be together Um, more so than if I get unglued and I start responding to people out of emotion. At that point, we're just kind of throwing energy back and forth, but we're not actually hearing each other. And we're just arguing out of principle instead of like really sharing information with each other. And and I only participate in um, situations where we're sharing information. Yeah. And like, I feel like I used to get into these discussions really heatedly and I stopped and I do more of what you do now. Um, well, or I just don't respond at all. But when I got really, really passionate about this at the beginning, and I didn't realize how many people would be in againstness against like, I'm trying to stop factory farming and the brutal murder of animals over here. And they're just like, meat is manly. And I loved in your film, a couple of things. I think it was John Sally that said, and he's in my film too. So we have that in common. But um, he said, and I don't remember his quote, but he said, it is not manly to eat meat. And then he went into why. And then the way that you showed the animal abuse, I thought was tasteful because it was very hard for me to watch. I've already seen all the fucking PETA videos, but I do not think in, 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 in many people's cases that the PETA videos are effective because they show too much. And so people are just like, I don't want to see it. I'm going to have cognitive dissonance. I'm not willing to even go there, but your film introduced it slowly later in the film and with so much already context presented. And it wasn't too much that I thought it was really well done, but that's one of the things that people argue about online all the time. And so again, like going back to earlier when I said like, what do you tell people? I would just say, just watch this film because then you're exposed to it in a way where you've already been taken on this journey. So by the time you get to that part, you're already on the ride and you're not like, this is absurd. I'm turning this off, which I think a lot of people do when the videos are too explicit, the animal activists who are almost uh, too, too in your face about it. There's a lot of people that can't take that. And so they'll turn it off rather than listen. So I think what you did was really hook people in to here's why you should listen. Here's all these amazing stories. And then you went into the factory farming portion of it and why, you know, the abuse of animals is not only wrong when you see it, but then, you know, you talked about the environmental impact and all of the things. So I just thought you did a great job on that. Thank you. I don't you. have a question. Thank you. Can you. Just respond you oh, no. And, and I, I'm with you. Um, I, I love when I see people kind of advocating for veganism in a more extreme way, I love, I'm in love with their passion. I really am. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with their passion. I'm in love with their intention. I think the problem I have with it is when you go that route, you run the risk of creating a stigma. So then, yeah, that, that extreme approach, you might've say converted 10 people to be vegan, but at the same time, how many people did you turn off? Because I meet people all the time who tell me like, oh, you know, Jasmine's a vegan, but she's like, cool. She's not like those other vegans. So it's almost like I have to uh, dispel the myth about vegans being crazy. So I think that's something to take into account when you advocate like, okay, how much damage are you doing? And even when you're showing those videos, like you have to remember those videos contain trauma. You know, and when you show someone a traumatic video, you bring them into the trauma. So you want to make sure that you prepare someone for something like that. You know, if I'm sitting at my desk and I'm at work and I need to get a bunch of stuff done and I decide, oh, let me just go on Facebook. And then I see an animal get its throat slit. It's just like that's such the wrong 
um, kind of time and presentation for something so kind of important. Yeah, I agree. And I, again, I think you did such a good job of bringing people into it. And, and, and I say a gentle way, it doesn't mean that your documentary isn't hard hitting. It just means it didn't feel like some of the other things I've seen where it's just too in your face, where I know people who would just turn it off and go, I'm not watching this. And so then they're not going to even understand the mission. So I just thought you did it really well. So for anyone listening, definitely check it out on Amazon and hopefully Netflix soon. But Amazon's yay, amazing. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I want to ask you about Black Lives Matter because I have been... I, I had an understanding of the movement because when it started with Trayvon Martin and Sabrina Fulton, I was working with an organization where we put on an event and had her speak. And I just felt like this is a pivotal time in our history where people are going to realize what's at stake and what really needs to change. And then from the per, the media perspective, it came and went. And now it is back and bigger than ever. And look, I'm grateful for it. Um, I'm, I participated in about six marches and I felt the energy and it was absolutely oh my gosh, it was so invigorating. And I just felt like things are finally going to change. But from your perspective, and you're in LA too, so tell me what you think. But like, from your perspective, do you think that we are now at the next level where we might actually see the end of systemic racism, like in our personal lifetimes? Oh, um, that's a hard one to, honestly, I would say no. And not to be, but I think there will be change. But with all progress, it moves slow. Because when you have a society as big as ours, like when you have a, a, a world where it's like 8 billion people, you know, if you make a dramatic change, you run the risk of negatively affecting other groups. So you kind of have to go slow so you see what works and what doesn't. And like our system is so kind of, you know, this whole country is so embedded in systemic oppression I think the unraveling of it all like would take lifetimes. Like first you would need certain, I mean, you would need groups of people to honestly like die off. Yes, totally. <laughs> Which we thought, I mean, like when I was growing up in the eighties and early nineties, like I thought that it had already happened. I was so, I had no idea. Like, yes, white privilege, 100%. I didn't know I had it until I was older, but like, I had no idea. I was like, oh, my parents told me about the civil rights era and how bad it was. I'm so glad things are good now. Like I had no idea. Yeah, because like for me, and see, take me, my mother, she, um, I think her school was, she went to an integrate, her school got integrated in when she was in middle school. Mm. So like, it's one thing when people talk about, oh, that was so long ago. It's just like, yeah. no, no, no. I was like, my mother went to segregated schools. That's not that long ago. It's not that and long And when you ago, think about right. it, it's just like, what do you think? All those racist people just died and had racially progressive <laughs> children? Like, no. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I mean, I it's so funny because and I hope it's okay to talk about this totally openly, but of all of the people of color I've asked this question, everyone has had said no and and white people have said I think so. And so I'm just like maybe that is still the privilege showing and as much as I'm trying to learn and and the people that the white people that I know and respect that are learning at the same time and are trying to be a part of the change are still looking at it with some rose colored colored glasses. Cause I think you're the fourth or first fifth person who has said, no, I don't think it's in our lifetime. So this is a good lesson for me. And it just tells me like, we need to work harder. Yeah. And I, and I also think with another problem is when you have a group that's abused, um, a lot of times like the victim will turn into the victimizer or the abuse mm -hmm. will turn into the abuser. And even though, you know, black people, we've been victimized. Um, we don't necessarily have like moral superiority in this whole movement either. So I've even with a lot of my friends, like I've even um, it's hard for me because some of them can be hateful and some of them sure. can say really off putting things about white people as a collective that I would never say. And that I don't agree with. So that's a whole nother part. Like, okay, after all this is done, now you have a group of people that have mistrust Um which is, you know, I feel like the mistrust is justified, but they, but there's hatred that comes with that mistrust. So it's almost like the cycle just keeps continues because no one says like, you know what, let's just forget the past and move forward in peace. So a, a lot, it's just a lot. It's so many layers of things that need to happen. <laughs> 
Food Heals Nation, birth control may not be one size fits all, but if you've been searching for an all natural and scientifically proven method, I've got the answer for you. It's called Natural Cycles. It's an alternative hormone-free birth control option. Natural Cycles identifies your fertile window by using a smart algorithm that monitors your basal temperature to identify when you are ovulating. It's pretty amazing. And you can use it if your intention is to become pregnant or if your intention is to prevent pregnancy. So it works both ways. It's kind of a must have for all of us women who don't want to use unnatural birth control methods, right? And Natural Cycles is the first and only FDA cleared birth control app. It's hormone free, so easy to use. All I have to do is take my temperature as soon as I wake up and then I put it in the Natural Cycles app and it'll give me the most accurate read. Then Natural Cycles uses this data to determine when I'm ovulating. Natural Cycles is 93% effective in preventing pregnancy when used typically and 98% when used perfectly. So <laughs> user error, right? You got to do the way that you're supposed to do it. Natural Cycles can also help you monitor your moods, recommend the best time for a breast exam, and so much more. I know for me, I never understood fertility. It's not something we're taught in school. Even when I would go to the doctor's office to get birth control pills back in the day, back in college when I was taking them, no one ever talked about the health effects of putting those hormones into my body. And did you know that you're actually only fertile for six days of your cycle? I had no idea. Now that I know, I can effectively plan pregnancy or avoid pregnancy. Go to naturalcycles.com slash foodheals and use promo code foodheals to get 20% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer, which is nice because they just ship it right to your door. That's naturalcycles.com slash foodheals code foodheals. Again, 20% off an annual subscription, a free thermometer. All users must be 18 years and older and Natural Cycles does not protect from STDs. Only condoms and other barrier methods can. Check it out. Let me know how you like it. What is one thing that I can do on a regular basis, not just post a black square, which great, do that. Stand up for what you believe in, but what can I do on a regular basis to reverse, to, to reverse systemic racism, to create the changes that we want to see beside, you know, we want to be the change we want to see, as you see, said earlier, but we have to take massive action besides just believing it in our hearts, which is step one. Great. But now what actions can we be taking? And then I'm going to ask you the same thing about veganism. <laughs> and then, and if they go together, great. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's so funny. Cause I think the answer is um, the same. Okay. One thing I think that's important at this time, like you have a lot of people, um, if someone says something they don't agree with, you know, like that person is the enemy. And what that does is that keeps the hate going. So if I'm around a, you know, if I'm around a white person and they say all lives matter, you know, and I get mad at them and I start yelling at them, then it's still the cycle of hatred, the cycle of ignorance. It just continues. Um, but if I look at it like, you know what, let me see things from this other person's vantage point. Like, I understand why they might not, um, depending on what they say, like, I understand why they might not understand what's so offensive about what they're saying. So I right. still have to operate out of patience. I still have to operate out of love. And I still have to operate out of empathy. Because the same way we've been, you know, uh, conditioned by an oppressive society, the the guy saying, all lives matter. He's been incorrectly conditioned as well. And I need to have patience for that. And same thing, you know, it goes shoes on the other foot. Like when you have, you know, black people talking about their disadvantages, sometimes, honestly, you do have people who sensationalize the experience. You do have people who even a black person, they might say something related to race that might be wrong. But if you're, you know, some white people, I guess, are scared to kind of call it out before you, you know, call it out or argue with the person have empathy, listen to what they're saying, go home, read about it, reflect on it, empathize with it. Like even if what they're saying might not even hold true to you, just be em empathetic. Like, wow, this is how this person goes through life feeling. How sad, like we all need to act out of empathy and try to understand each other, even when we don't agree with each other. I mean, that's the whole podcast. I'm just going to play that portion and then we're done. I mean, <laughs> drop my mic. <laughs> mic drop. 
I say that so much that I was like, Ali, you need to stop saying mic drop because it's going to feel like it's not as important. But mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) That was so beautifully said. And I agree with you. And you're right. It is the same with veganism or anything that you're fighting for where you are like, I know I'm on the right side of history. And you're like, but people don't get it. And that's okay because they didn't learn. So if they're open and willing to learn, then they can reverse you know, there was a guy, I forget who it was. Um, I think Bill Maher talked about him. Someone was talking about him and he said, all lives matter. And he was immediately fired and everyone destroyed him. And he was like, oh, and someone educated me. He was like, I did not know. Cause he was like, all right, I changed my stance. And it wasn't a political move. He was just like, I didn't know guys. And yeah, you can be like, you fucking idiot. You're in the public space. You should know. But if people are willing to change when it comes to food, when it comes to the patriarchy, when it comes to all of these things, like there's so many men I've talked to about the Me Too movement and they're like, not that they have ever raped anyone, but they've been like, you know what? This has taught me that sometimes I have been too aggressive. And you're like, great, you're learning. You're not a rapist. You're somewhere, you're, you're not in the middle. I feel like I'm, I'm, I don't want to minimize this. But what I mean is it's like you are learning from women now. You are learning from people of color now. You are learning from the vegans now. And if you're open to it, there's so much amazing change that can happen. And you can reverse your previous beliefs that just because you didn't know. And I, yeah, I totally agree. And the same thing, you know, to bring it back to the vegan movement, you know, if someone, um, if they say something that me as a vegan, I don't agree with, my first priority is, okay, I don't want to say anything off-putting to this person, you know? And I also want to leave room for growth. And that's something that we don't do. Like with Bill Maher, when he made that mistake, we didn't give him room to grow. You know, we didn't give him a time to reflect and to say like, you should know better. It's just like, um, where is this handbook of things you should know and not know about race? Because even me as a black person, I've never read it. And I also think that people... They don't know that we all have, no one has the monopoly on ignorance. So just because, you know, a lot of black people, you know, they, they can be homophobic, they can be classes, they can be elitist, they can be xenophobic and, and no one has the moral superiority anyway, because anybody can catch, get caught slipping. Like I'm sure there are areas in my life that I don't know about. And I'll be honest, like if someone were to tell me like, oh, you should know about say, uh, the Muslim experience. And I'll be honest about that. Even the trans experience, like that's something I would need to read up on right now, because if someone were to come at me and ask me, what are all the politically correct things I should say and not say, I I don't, I don't know if I'm as woke in those areas. And I would hope that if I said the wrong thing, someone would extend compassion to me and just go, you know what? She just doesn't know, but I, I want to learn. It's just hard to know, you know, especially with the internet, it's just hard to know even where to start sometimes. So give, yeah. give people room to grow. If they say something messed up, like, you know, not call it out. Cause I don't like call out culture, but you know, give them, you know, help them find the right way. Like, Hey, you know, that's actually not correct. You shouldn't say that here. You could check out this resource to, if you want to learn more, but be helpful and operate out of love. Cause love is radical. It's easy to get into these race arguments. It's easy to get into a vegan argument. What's hard is to hold your tongue and no matter what, love the other person that is talking and be kind to someone. Even if they say something you don't like, that's radical and that's hard. And that's when you sometimes get people to listen. Cause a lot of people can't hear you if you're only screaming at them. Yes, absolutely. Mic drop again, Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, and like, I'm like you, like, I don't think I would have said something insensitive, but thank God I didn't have Twitter and TikTok and Instagram when I was 12. Who knows what would be on there, you know, or even 20. I didn't know anything about health, but I could have said something totally insensitive to the way I am now because I'm a completely different person. That came out of trauma that changed me and made me the person I am today. But before the trauma, I was a completely different person with a different set of societal norms and beliefs based on my experience up until that time. And so we can grow and change, but we should be given the opportunity. I agree with you. Um, What's your next film or what's next for jazz? So what's next? Um, I have two things kind of on the horizon. Like I did this kind of short piece about 
um, is a documentary, very short doc. It was like a one minute doc about um, eating disorders in communities of color. Because whenever you see um, um, food disorders talked about in the media, again, it's usually only in the con in the context of a white woman, usually skinny, usually affluent. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to tackle that and also um, do another project on food in the prison system and trying to get more healthy options in that system. Because once again, if you want the vegan movement to be inclusive, if you want it to include everyone, you need to think about everyone. And I know there are people who say, well, who cares about people in prison? They're bad people. And it's like, just because someone got caught with some marijuana, that doesn't make them a bad person. And at the end of the day, if you want people to stop eating animals, like you need to send the message to everyone, not just those that you see fit. There's a book called The Master Plan, um, A Journey from a Life in Prison to a Life of Purpose. That's by Chris Wilson. You know, if that I think that's a really good book. If someone really wants to understand um, systemic oppression, I think that's an excellent book to read. All right. So where can people find the film? We already said Amazon. All right. Where can people follow you online and, you know, support you, stalk you? I mean, further the cause that you might get some <laughs> stalkers after this. <laughs> oh, you know, just like everybody else, I'm around. We can do, um, I'm on Instagram, The Invisible Vegan. I'm on Facebook, The Invisible Vegan. Um, Twitter, just Invisible Vegan because someone stole The Invisible Vegan, but I'm not bitter. Oh. And then if you want to support, there's a Patreon site for the Invisible Vegan, so you can definitely support there. And yeah. Oh, and I have a website, www.theinvisiblevegan.com. Amazing. Invisiblevegan.com. And follow her on social media. Jazz, you have two new amazing topics, films coming out. I can't wait to see more about the anorexia and the prison system, two topics that also have not gone away. Right. And so just because the mass media isn't talking about these things doesn't mean that they're not happening all the time. So I'm really excited for you to shed some light on those issues. Thank you. Thank you. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately. 